0: morning the reading is taken from Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 to 14 you can find it on page 893 in the Bibles it's also on the screen as I looked thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was as white as snow the hair of his head was white like wool his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray that God will come and speak to us. Lord, we thank you for that vision that was given to Daniel all those years ago of you on your throne. We praise you that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Praise you, Lord Jesus, that one day you will return and everything will be restored and renewed. And we look forward to that great day. And in the meantime, we pray, send your spirit on us. And speak to us now, uh, not just to our minds, but to our innermost being. Help us to trust you with the things that we find hardest to trust you with. And we ask that you'll speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every Sunday is designated in all sorts of different ways. Most weeks I get letters through saying the next Sunday is sort of Save the Whale Sunday or Free Chicken Sunday. Or There are some Sundays we absolutely do celebrate. We go with Christmas and Easter and Pentecost. Uh, Next week is Advent when we celebrate that Jesus is coming again. It took me a few years till I clocked that this Sunday, the Sunday before Advent, is known around the world as the Feast of Christ the King. More traditional churches will have had that as part of their rhythm all the time. I'd grown up in churches that probably let that one go by. And it struck me over the last few years that this is a really good Sunday to go with the the theme that the church around the world are going with. That Jesus reigns. Whatever it looks like, we are to lift our eyes, to look up to the fact that he reigns, and to look forward to the day when he will return. And next week on Advent, we'll be looking forward Uh, Today is day to look up. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that faith, trusting God, is looking up and looking forward. Uh, Not just sort of getting bogged down in all the stuff that surrounds us day to day, but looking up and look forward. Uh, That's what was going on for Daniel. Uh, Daniel was in Babylon in the 6th century BC, between 600 and 500 BC. He had grown up in Israel as a boy. Uh, As a teenager, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and they deported all the leaders and the people of learning off to Babylon. And Daniel with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, were there enrolled in the University uh, of Babylon and trained up and becoming civil servants to serve Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Babylon and the great empire of the day. Uh, Daniel held on to the fact, his belief in God, the creator of heaven and earth, despite all the worship of other gods in Babylon. Uh, We read, he prayed three times a day. You'll know the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den and some of the other cracking stories. You may not know so well the second half of the book of Daniel, where he talks about his prayers, the visions he was given. Uh, And this dream that Daniel had comes towards the end of the empire of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. Belshazzar is reigning, who was utterly godless. And it was Belshazzar who was king when Babylon was taken over by the Medes and Persians. In this chapter, it's a long chapter. We didn't have the whole thing read. It's a dream at night of kingdoms coming and going, kingdoms represented by different beasts. There are four great animals, one after another, coming. And then after the fourth one, ten smaller ones coming out of that. if you're a historian, it's not too difficult to picture together the four great empires that are referred to here. The, the Babylonian Empire that Daniel uh, was caught up in, the Medes and Persians that followed him, the next great empire, the Greek Empire, with Alexander the Greek, the next one, the Roman Empire. Those four clearly Uh, given to Daniel in his vision and then out of the Roman Empire various kingdoms coming and going of which I guess the European Union is just the current version uh, of that the point is not that we have to join all the dots and cross all the t's uh, and precisely work out well was that vision exactly how it worked out or not the point is that God was revealing to Daniel that kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go that what seems to be the great kingdom of the day in the light of eternity uh, may well be long gone at some point. But there is a king whose kingdom will never end. Uh, And Christians have always seen this one like the Son of Man, referring to Jesus. Jesus himself took the title on himself of the Son of Man. That's how he referred to himself. Now at one level, it's just an idiom for a person, a human being. But this, there's, Christians have always seen this echo of the Son of Man in Daniel, and Jesus is just obliquely referring to that about himself. Uh, we know, with the hindsight of the resurrection and the ascension, that he's reigning in glory, and one day he will return. For Daniel, that was all a long way in the future. This is 2,500 years ago. But the vision he's given is one that Christians have celebrated. Throughout the Bible, there are various people who are given visions of the throne room of heaven, And this is one of them. So let me read a few of these verses again. Daniel 7, 9 to 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, presumably God, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Uh, It's imagery that's picked up in Revelation of the myriads of angels worshipping around the throne with God on the throne. And there is a day of judgment when all will be sorted out coming. And then there's a bit more about what happened to the kingdoms. And then we get this figure like the Son of Man in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And we know that's Jesus. Uh, St. Paul to the Philippians picked up that early Christian hymn that one day every knee will bow. When Jesus returns, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, for Daniel, this was an exhausting vision. He said it, it wore him out. This sense of kingdoms coming and going, and trying to get his head round it. But there was this assurance that God's kingdom will last above them all, uh, even though it wouldn't have looked like that at the time in the Babylonian Empire. As I said, these pictures are picked up in different parts of the Bible, perhaps most so in Revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Uh, And I want to pick up in Revelation chapter 1, where St. John the Apostle in his old age was given a vision of God that picks up on all of this. Uh, John to the seven, this is Revelation 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We'll go on with this in a moment. Uh, John is an old man, the Apostle John. Most of his fellow disciples have been killed, murdered at different places. John is in exile on the island of Patmos. It's the era of the Emperor Domitian towards the end of the first century. Nero was terrible. If you were a Christian in Rome, you were in real danger, but the rest of the empire wasn't too bad. By Domitian's time, every Christian throughout the Roman Empire was in trouble. Domitian demanded that everybody burned incense to him and worshipped him as Lord and God. And of course the Christians wouldn't do that. Jesus is our Lord and God. We can't bow the knee to anybody else. So Christians were killed and persecuted. And John, the old apostle, was exiled. And he's writing this to the churches around at the day. He goes on. This is verse 9 of Revelation 1. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, sort of picturing the churches. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, again, picking up that theme, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades." That's an amazing vision given. And it often seems to be that Christians who are up against it the most are given some of the most remarkable insights by the Lord. Certainly Daniel in the godless empire of Babylon, John in exile in Domitian's era, they get these visions of God reigning on his throne of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And throughout history, these pictures of Jesus reigning have been tremendously encouraging. To Christians going through persecution, as many of our brothers and sisters are in other parts of the world. Uh, it may be that Revelation isn't the book of the Bible you know best. In past eras, it was one of the favourite books in our very scientific age with all the dreams. It's hard to work out exactly what's going on. I'm um, pleased to say in Lent, we've got Andrew Dow coming back. Uh, who spent two years really studying it, and he's doing five evenings on Wednesdays in Lent, explaining uh, more of, particularly those middle chapters of Revelation. So I'm looking forward to that, to find out a bit more. Uh, There's an There's a trailer for you for Lent. For now, let's stick with what is clear. These visions are given of Jesus, risen from the dead, in great power and authority, reigning, and that one day he will return. Now the book of Revelation was tremendously encouraging to Christians of the day. Jesus was there in the church, with the church, strengthening the church. But at the same time as lots of encouragement, there was quite a lot of challenge. Uh, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there was a challenge to Christians to bow the knee to him wholeheartedly, not to compromise our faith. Uh, There are two bits in that I found particularly challenging. One was uh, to the church in Ephesus, it says, I know how hard you worked, but you've lost your first love. We need to love the Lord. Uh, What is the use of all the deeds we do if they're not from love? I've always found that challenging. And then the letter to Laodicea that is against half-heartedness and compromise, writing to a church that thought it was doing wonderfully, but actually it was compromised. If we could put these words up from Revelation 3, 15 and 16. The risen Jesus says to the church, I know your deeds, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's really shocking, the risen Jesus saying, much the same as we'd say, we love a cold drink, that's refreshing, we love a hot drink. A lukewarm one is pretty revolting. Spit it out. Now the imagery to that, to Laodicea, was it didn't have its own water supply. Its water either came from Colossae, on a few miles one way, or Hierapolis, a few miles the other way. One of them had hot springs, and by the time that water came, it was cooled down to lukewarm. One of them had cold water, a river, and by the time that was pumped up, that was lukewarm. So it's picking up on the imagery. And for all of us as Christians, the Feast of Christ the King is a reminder that Jesus reigns, and we need to bow the hymn... To, we need Him as Lord, and we've made it our commitment Sunday—a chance to say, "Lord, we're committed to you. Our energies, our time, our money, we commit to you." Uh, last year on Commitment Sunday, we didn't do anything about our money. We just renewed our baptism vows. We were actually at a fortunate stage financially, uh, where because some staff members had left and others were on maternity leave, the regular giving was covering stuff. Uh, that situation has changed so we need to think about our finances again in a minute but last year we took the opportunity to renew our baptism vows to Jesus to bow the knee to him as our Lord and many of you will have been here on what was a remarkable day as corporately we renewed our commitment to Jesus as Lord Uh, this year three areas to think about I told you two of them in the email I wrote to you in the week Uh, one is Brexit What has Christ the King got to say to Brexit? One is the area of our finances. And the third area is any area that you are struggling with yourself. The sort of thing that you lie awake at night thinking about. Uh, It's bringing that to the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns. Jesus said, are you feeling burdened or heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. Now it's a soul rest. There's a promise of a peace Inwardly, There is no promise that outwardly everything will be comfortable. It was pretty hairy for Daniel in Babylon two and a half thousand years ago. It was very hairy for the Christians in the first century under Domitian's persecution. There is no promise that things will be smooth and easy. But there is a promise of an inner peace and a joy inwardly and knowing that the Lord reigns. So one area is whatever you're struggling with to encourage you to bring it to the King of Kings to look up and to look ahead, and not just to get bogged down focusing on it. Uh, second area is Brexit, so uh, it was all quite interesting in the news, wasn't it, a couple of years ago, then for the last 18 months we've just heard there'll never be a deal, no one can agree, it's all hopeless, that's basically been the news on Brexit as far as I can tell, and now suddenly there's a deal there uh, that's been signed off this morning, But. Nobody's entirely happy about the deal. I have not the faintest idea whether this is a good deal or a bad deal. I don't think any of us really know. Um, The point I want to make is that while we're members of the United Kingdom, or many of us, some of you belong to other nationalities, that's not our prime allegiance. Our prime allegiance is not to the United Kingdom or even to the European Kingdom. Uh, It's to the King of Kings. It's to God's Kingdom. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. Daniel saw this in his dream. The Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, they come and go. And the Lord reigns. He sees them coming and going. But his kingdom, can we put up uh, Daniel 7.14 again? Uh, and And the last bit of it. His kingdom, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So I want you to lift your eyes above all the choppy waters of Brexit. Graham Tomlin wrote in the Times last Saturday, when things are choppy at sea, you fix your eye on the horizon, not on the waves. And we need to lift our eyes to the horizon, to Jesus who reigns, who's coming again. Uh, Now, obviously, if your business or your job is under threat, you're right to be concerned. We'd love to pray for you, for God to give you his peace and uh, help you trust him for his provision in what comes. But for all of us, however we're affected by this, and most of us don't know how we'll be affected, we lift our eyes. Jesus still reigns. Uh, I love the way God's attitude to the different rulers of the nations is described in Psalm 2. I don't know if you know Psalm 2. We'll put the words up here, verse 1 to 6. Uh, The psalmist asks this, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, "I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain." This is a picture of God ruling over the nations. They, kingdoms come and empires come and go, and there's some particular tyrants that come and go. It's almost like the Lord running a toddlers' group, and there's tyrants in every toddler group, as there are in every school playground. And the Lord oversees them all. They come and go, and he he laughs at them. Now, he doesn't laugh at the suffering they inflict. We know that Jesus is there with his people in the suffering. Uh, But this sense of God is much bigger. These kingdoms come and go. Uh, These verses put up are from Philippians chapter uh, chapter 2, this early Christian hymn, uh, which Paul quotes, talking about Jesus, saying that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the Christian attitude. We're to pray for our leaders as we have done this morning. They have a difficult job. But we're not to panic. The Lord reigns and we lift our eyes. And the Feast of Christ the King is a really good reminder to us to do that. Uh, If you are feeling wobbly about Brexit for any reason, we'd love to pray for you afterwards and love you to know his peace that passes understanding and his provision. So whatever's going on in the news and whatever Parliament decide to do uh, with this agreement that's been done, let's lift our eyes. We keep praying for it, but we're not thrown. Uh, Last area, whatever is that concerns you, bring it to the King of Kings. Brexit, bring it to the King of Kings. Uh, today on commitment sunday our finances we bring to the king of kings and lord of lords Uh, many of you will have heard of john wimbo a great christian leader who's now in glory he used to spell words in a strange way but to make a point he would spell the word faith r-i-s-k faith is about trusting god but there's always a risk am i going to trust god with my time with my money there's a there's a risk there's only one way you'll find out if god is trustworthy you take that step Uh, He used to spell commitment, M-O-N-E-Y, because you know if someone's committed to something by what they do with their money. For the vast majority of us, the money is the last bit to be be converted. John Wesley used to say, the last bit of anybody to be converted is their pocketbook, (laughs) their their wallet, their bank account. There are some people in the church, and I know because you've told me, that you find it easier to give money than time, and for you it's your time is the most precious commodity. But for all of us, we need to bring our resources, our energies, our talents, our gifts, our time, our money before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I do want to say to anybody who does not have enough money that we have a hardship fund for you. Please come and ask. We, together with other churches, we put the Christians Against Poverty Debt Center together in the town to help deal with people and help release them from debt. So if you're struggling with money, please come and talk. We, we can help. But for all of us, we have some money in and we get to give some of it to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Uh, let me just talk through these bits of paper just a little more than I introduced them before the children go out. Could you take the one with the pie chart again on it? That would be really good. Uh, Three main reasons. I'm not going to preach a long sermon about money. This is more about the King of Kings and looking at our money in the light of it. But there are three main reasons why we give money. Because God is the great giver. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. And he invites us to give. And we can't outgive him. Uh, I love the passage in Malachi 3. We look at this most years. Malachi is, again, in the Old Testament at a time when the people of God were not honouring God, and God had a few things to say about their relationships, their worship, the temple, and their money. And God says to them through Malachi, Malachi 3, verse 6, "'I, the Lord, do not change, "'so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. "'Ever since the time of your ancestors, "'you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. "'Return to me, and I will return to you,' says the Lord Almighty. "'But you ask, how? How are we to return?' Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. A tithe is 10% for income. Offerings is what we give on top of that. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to store it. Now, normally, we are told in the Bible not to put the Lord of the God to test. To the test. But with our finances, God says, test me. He says, if you trust me in the area of your finances, I will pour out blessing on you. Now, sometimes this gets twisted by prosperity gospel preachers to say, I'll bless you with loads more money. There's no promise to that. There's God saying, you trust me and I'll bless you in all sorts of different ways. It may be with relationship or other ways. It may be financial. But there's... A treasure, horse of, a treasure house of blessing in heaven. And the key to unlocking it is trusting the Lord with every part of our lives, even, as Wesley put it, our pocketbook, our tithes and offerings. Uh, people often ask me about tithing. That's 10%. So we're not like a sports club that charges the same entrance fee, whether you're rich or poor. The church says everybody's welcome, and we give proportionally. If you earn a little, you give a little. If you earn a lot, give a lot. Uh, and the same with our time. Tithing is 10% and it's an Old Testament principle that Jesus upheld. But the main New Testament principles are generous and sacrificial. And I find tithing is a bit like a crutch. If I've got a gammy leg, I need a crutch to walk along while my leg strengthens. Or if you've got a weak vine, you need to tie it up till it strengthens. Tithing is a a ready reckoner of 10% of our income to go to the Lord Till we're strong enough to just give generously and sacrificially beyond that. There's no sense. The Pharisees say, well, I tithe, and that's enough. It's a sense that for someone on little money, tithing is an enormous generosity. For someone with a lot, you've got lots more left over. Uh, And I'm unashamed that I tithe to the church. I don't mind who knows that. I encourage the whole church to tithe. Don't tell anybody what we give in offerings beyond that or elsewhere. Juliet, my wife, always says, I'm glad it's 10%, because 13% would be so hard to work out, but 10% is really easy, so we could, we could, it's simple. Even a child can know what, what that is. The point here, though, is God saying, I want to bless you more. And if we open our hands out to God and release, then we're able to receive what he wants to give to us. So the first reason we give is God's the great giver. The second reason is because Jesus is our Lord. If I've bowed the knee to Jesus as my Lord then I'm accountable to him for my time, my relationships, my energy, my money, both what I give to others and how I spend the proportion I keep. Uh, I always say to folks, if you don't want to give, that's fine. There is no pressure. Um, There's pressure to think about it. But if you don't want to give, if you think you're better off keeping it all yourself and that's how it will be for you, I say, good luck to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The route to blessing is in give and it will be given to you, Jesus said, uh, and he's rather, Jesus speaks rather against hoarding for ourselves. Uh, you're welcome not to give, but don't pretend Jesus is Lord of everything. You can say, I'm exploring Christian faith. <laughs> uh, Jesus is my Lord, so he's Lord of my money. Everything I have, he's given anyway. He's given me the ability to do what I do, as he's given you your abilities. He gives our resources to us, and we give back to him. And the third reason is because ministry costs money. We've got staff to pay, buildings to run, food to provide, gifts to give. Uh, So the pie chart shows where it goes. On the back of that page, there's just a few more words about where the money goes. The costs of the clergy which go through the diocese. We give to other churches in the diocese through the parish share. Churches in Coventry doing amazing work with asylum seekers who couldn't possibly afford all their costs we can help with. Uh, The new parish church uh, that was Warwick Gates at Heathcote, the Rob Bud's now the vicar of, getting onto its own two feet financially, we can help support it. That's part of where our giving goes. We give to our mission partners uh, around the world. Do sign Christmas cards for them afterwards. We pay our staff. We have costs they need stuff to do with. Uh, Then we need coffee and meals and stuff for the children to make and television for the, t- for the teenagers to watch different things on and video. It's, we, we need kit. And uh, this building costs a certain amount to run and all the things of it. So that's where it goes. And the principles there on the right hand side, we give regularly. So if you're paid weekly, I encourage you to give weekly. I'm paid monthly. So uh, on the last banking day of the month, my stipend comes in, uh, my tithe goes out to the church at the start of the next month. So it's off the top. Uh, to give proportionately, so that's the percentage, to give generously uh, and tax efficiently. I'll say a bit more about tax efficiently in a moment. Just this generously one. Uh, my other favourite passage on giving is 2 Corinthians 9, and if you've been here any length of time, you could almost do this off by heart. <laughs> St. Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your hearts. Give not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're not trying to pressurize you. But uh, giving is such good news because we can't outgive God. I'd be really very sad if not everybody had the opportunity to give. So that's why we do this every year. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, You may not know much Greek, but every year I say that the Greek word for cheerful is hilarion, from which we get the word hilarious or joyful. So when we give... Give freely and joyfully. Uh, And it's really helpful if you give tax efficiently, if you fill in the form. If you've done this before, that's fine. You don't need to do it again. But uh, if you've signed the gift aid form, we can reclaim the tax. Uh, And if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can reclaim the extra yourself. If you ask Andrew Rolls, our treasurer, he'll happily tell you how to do that. Um, In a few minutes' time, I'm going to encourage everybody, though, who's part of this church, uh, to fill in something on here, you may want to tick the box that says I've sorted this online. Uh, you may want to write a note to the treasurer on the back that says, everything's up in the air at the moment, I can't possibly decide now what to give, please email me in January to remind me, or uh, I need to go and talk to my partner before we decide. For us, I'll tell you what's on our one your giving will stay the same, yes. Uh, that's what Juliet and I have agreed uh, we, our income's gone down because i have left school now so we don't get any tax credits anymore uh, our step of faith is to keep the giving the same so the amount's not going up the percentages and we'll put that in uh, but I'll invite everybody at the end of the service to come and just offer this to the Lord as a sign that we trust him with our money uh, if you're not ready to give yet just write whatever you want onto it uh, if you are you could, if you want us to do the work with your bank fill in your bank details and we can do that You can do it online yourself. Gosh, some of you have probably got smartphones. You could even do it before you leave the building. It's very clever now how this can work. Uh, Before we get to that, I want to tell you one more story. I'll just look at my notes and see if I've missed anything else. And then listen to one short clip of something, and then we'll have a time of prayer. Uh, Someone who used to be part of this church wrote to me this week. He'd grown up in the church, moved away. He'd gone away from Christian faith for a bit, come back to Christian faith And he wrote to me about, uh, as a testimony of finances. And he said he'd always struggled to trust God with his money. He never made made it through to the end of the month. But he's trying to live with Jesus as Lord now. He's started tithing his income to the church. He's gone to the cap debt centre to sort out stuff from the past. Uh, And he has been trying to chase up, he said a tax rebate he was owed and he just could, it was going around circles this goes back for a long time and nothing was giving this is the first month he said he'd tithed and trusted God and he said this is the first, m- first month I've got something left over at the end of the month and I had a letter from the authorities saying they'll sort my tax out what's the odds on that uh, that's one of those sort of coincidences uh, when we pray we find a few more coincidences don't we it's a God incidence that's right if we trust the Lord with our finances, he can provide, he can know. Uh, so I want to tell you that. I was just, he wrote to me just this week, which was rather nice. Someone who lives in another part of the country used to be here. Uh, before we do this, I just want to lift our eyes again to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has all the resources. He knows our needs. He's promised not to let us down. One of the ways provision is made is through the church family. If you're struggling, we have a pot to help each other. Uh, this is a wonderful bit of preaching from an old African-American preacher called S.M. Lockridge. Some of you will have heard this before. Towards the end of his life, he was invited to say a few words. And a lifetime of preaching poured out of him with the wonderful rhythms of that sort of preaching. And someone taped it. The original is very crackly, but it's been digitally remastered. And because there's so many words, there's some words put up on the screen as well. Uh, Just enjoy this. Here is an old preacher pointing to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords.
2: The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of righteousness he's the king of the ages he's the king of heaven he's the king of glory he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords that's my king i I wonder do you know him (laughs) my king is a sovereign king he's enduringly strong he's entirely sincere he's eternally steadfast he's immortally graceful he's imperially powerful he's impartially merciful do you know him he's God's son he's a sinner's savior he's the centerpiece of civilization he's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, he's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. I love
1: that. I wish I could describe him to you. <laughs> no, brilliant. Brilliant. I can't preach like that. I wouldn't try. That's not me. That's him. But we serve the same king, the king of kings. Uh, so we're going to put some quiet music on in a moment. Can I invite you to take that uh, form that sort of says giving at St. Paul's, the, the standing order one. You can write whatever you like on the back to Andrew. You can say your giving's the same. You can say you'll sort it out. You can, you can, whatever your response is, you can put the amount there weekly, monthly. We'll take five minutes just in stillness. And then as we sing our last song, I'll invite you to come up and pop it on a collection plate here as an offering to the Lord. Lord, we bow before you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, with the things that concern us, help us to trust you. For wisdom for our nation and Europe as they try and navigate a new relationship, help us to trust you. For our finances individually and as a church family, help us to trust you. For all of us as we take the next step of faith. We pray that your spirit would nudge us, perhaps put a number in our head uh, that we should give or help us to work out what a tenth is, whatever it is. And as we offer it to you, would you give us great joy. May there be an outburst of cheerful giving as we give freely to you. For those who need more time, uh, give freedom to take it. But Lord, come and reign in this place And in the stillness, help us think these things through. And we offer it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. just have some quiet music and then in a few minutes' time the band will lead our last song and we'll come forward and put our responses down. There are some biro, if you need something to write with, wave a hand in the air and some of the stewards can come with a a biro or an extra bit of paper.